Jeff Darlington, you got to spend quality time with the Dolphins, Mike McDaniel. Now, there's 32 head coaches in the NFL. A lot of them do get up at ungodly hours. But there's something about why he gets up, right, that drove you to interview him. That's exactly right, Michelle. I I think that this was obviously going to be a really cool story as soon as Mike was willing to let me tag along with him, given that he wakes up and is heading to work at 2.45 a.m. That in itself is cool, but it's not necessarily unique to the head coaching landscape. Uh, A lot of guys are maniacal about their hours. What was unique with Mike McDaniel was more the reason that he does that. That was sort of the story that we were chasing here, that McDaniel doesn't just go to work because he wants to be there and is committed to his job. He does it for reasons that are part of his past. I was this close to losing a job that I had changed my life for. It made me look in the mirror. He is overcoming uh, some adversities that he had faced in his past, and ultimately by getting to work early, he feels like that he is making peace with some of that past. How, how could it get to this point? He realized that I was using alcohol to like, just check out, so I didn't have to deal with the problems. No offensive performance excited football fans more than the Dolphins' week one. Now, while many fans are familiar with their, dare I say, quirky head coach Mike McDaniel and his efforts to reinvigorate this franchise, they may not know about the journey that prepared him for this very moment. Now McDaniel is opening up about a chapter of his life and his career that he's rarely discussed. Today, Jeff Darlington takes us inside the mind of Mike McDaniel and how he's redefining the paradigm of NFL coach. I'm Michelle Steele. It's Friday, September 15th. This is ESPN Daily. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
Jeff, we've covered Mike McDaniel on this show before. And last season, our NFL Nation reporter, Marcel Louis-Jacques, told us about how unique that coaching style is. And people can find a link to that in our episode description today. But you reported this phenomenal profile on McDaniel for NFL Countdown. He gave you phenomenal access as well, a real peek into his typical workday. How did this all come together? And did you have to really sort of persuade him to let you in? Um, you know, I think like any story that that gets access in this day and age, it definitely requires a trust element. And that was both built through the short term and the long term with Mike. I've known Mike for 15 years now, um, knew him as a Houston Texans assistant coach, in fact. But um, I think it was still, for him, important to, if he's going to share this story, providing a glimpse of who he is and where he comes from that can maybe allow him uh, to be perhaps an empathetic figure to his team. I, I could see that being a reason he would do that. Mm. He never solely expressed that, but I think that um, knowing him as well as I do, I certainly know that he wasn't just merely giving access because he wanted to show up on TV. 15 years is a longstanding relationship, but can we say this is the first time or at least one of the first times you've spent the hours between two and three in the morning with Mike McDaniel? I can definitely say it's the first time that I've gone to work with him. <laughs> uh, and I can say it's the first time I've done an interview after 2 a.m. Uh, I can speak for reporters uh, when I say that this is an extremely unique and extremely special opportunity to witness his regimen firsthand. How did you prepare yourself uh, to shadow a guy who gets up uh, at 2 a.m.? You know, it's funny. I One of the funny parts of the story to me was the fact that I was sitting here really prepping myself that day, thinking about, do I need to take a nap? Do I go to sleep at at 7 p.m. and then wake up? Do I try to charge through and sleep after? And as I'm doing this, I think to myself, oh my gosh, Mike McDaniel does this every night. <laughs> I am preparing for this like it's I'm running a marathon. This is his normal existence. So from my end, I, I did just charge through and then did wind up sleeping very hard the next night. But I think it does speak to the the expectations on a head coach, the amount of hours that it does require to put into this job. And some people might say that's not healthy, but I would say that these these coaches believe it's it's really the only way. Wired a little bit different, that's for sure. What time did you show up to his house? What was the mood, I guess? Uh, what was the vibe at that hour? You know, it, it's funny. It, 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 once I kind of embraced the fact that I was going to work with Mike. It, it was just a normal interview at that point. I know that sounds weird, but mm. I showed up. Uh, the crew met us, at, uh, met me in my driveway at 2 a.m. We headed over there and at 2.30, we got there. I think we were supposed to meet at 2.45. Uh, 2.31, the garage door opens and Mike walks out, ready to go. No, 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 like, because I do a lot of stuff as a head coach. Never right now. This yeah. is like my time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I got it's it. It's super weird. I'm an intruder. In I mean, he looked like he'd been awake for hours. Well, thank you for, um, you know, letting me invade your precious time. Oh, this is a... Time. This is a... This is a first. This is a first for... I promise you. We 
got in the car. We had a cameraman in the back seat. Ooh, this is a comfortable seat. Like, so you just want me to sit here so you can think and not, yeah. not talk? No. I mean. No, honestly, that would be super weird. <laughs> We're pulling out and he goes, I got to apologize. I have always been super annoying to my friends because I do not need any time to just go. Like college, for instance, like he'd wake up and be just like a chatterbox and all his friends would just be like, dude, chill out for a second. But that is just not how he's wired at all. When I went to college, the annoyance on 100% of the people's faces. That's right. I used to like to sleep in a lot. It's just once I wake up, I'm ready to go generally. Right. So here's the crux of the piece. What did he tell you about why he starts his day as early as he does? So obviously, to most people, just the mere fact that he starts his day uh, at 2.45 a.m., heads to work on a normal day, gets there by 3 a.m., is is obviously unique. But for him, it really goes back to when he was an offensive assistant coach with the Houston Texans in 2008. And he was uh, coaching under Gary Kubiak at the time. And although Mike says that he was working really hard uh, and pretty maniacal hours even then, he also was going out too much at night. And it was leading to some issues where he wasn't showing up to work on time the next day. And there were two occasions when Gary Kubiak called his phone at 6 a.m. when Mike was supposed to be there, and he wasn't. So Gary Kubiak was very regimented, and at like six on the dot, he would call my office phone, and there was two occasions where that just kept ringing, and then where's Mike, and I'd show up in a panic 45 minutes later because I was sleeping at the time. And ultimately, Kubiak used those examples when he decided at the end of the season to fire McDaniel. Mike looks back at that time uh, very different now than he did in the moment when he perceived it at the time to be, I was late twice for work, how am I being fired? To now understanding that Kubiak was telling him, you've got to get your life figured out if you're going to succeed in this business. In his words, he thought that I had to learn a life lesson. In my mind, I was late twice. I think he was right and I was wrong. What he was telling me was, hey, you know, I really see how much you want this. You'll work endless hours, but you, your priorities are a little mixed up and you're going out too much. And I think you need to get that figured out. And then he said, hopefully in five years, we'll be talking about uh, me hiring you again. And from there, he was relegated to the United Football League. And ever since then, Mike realized that he gave up this incredible opportunity. And Mike ultimately vowed to himself that he would never be late again. And even as his own boss now, when he sets the hours, he's going to make sure that he gets to work and is, is, getting, is putting every single bit of effort and focus into his job. The party stuff had to do with alcohol, and I wasn't, I wasn't at the stage of my life to kind of, like, um, admit to that or, like, conquer that thing, so... Do you associate that time with why you wake up so early now? I mean, to a degree, it's because you have to get the work done. Um, well, that's, that's, how, that's how it started, for sure. But then, then it became um, 
you're chasing you're chasing the best version of yourself and this part of the day is so unique because everything is in front of you so he loses his job with the Texans and he ends up going to the United Football League coaching the Sacramento Mountain Lions how does he make his way back to the NFL i would say the one thing that was never lacking for mike mcdaniel was a brilliant mind It was always recognized by the people around him, namely Kyle Shanahan. Now, Mike and Kyle were close in Houston. They did some really special things together there. Mike already had established a relationship with Mike Shanahan, Kyle's dad, during their time in Denver when Mike was uh, an intern. So there was this relationship that existed. And while I think there could be some argument made that part of it is because they were friends. I would argue that the other part, which is very important, was the fact that Mike just really knows football very well, and Kyle understood that better better than anyone. So he ends up helping Kyle, Kyle Shanahan, in stops in Washington and Cleveland and Atlanta. He continues these crazy hours, but Does he continue struggling with other things in his life? He did, uh, namely alcohol. It's especially interesting because what was going on in Houston was certainly related to alcohol, staying out and going out. But I don't think that it was a situation where Mike was perceiving it to be a dependency. When he got to Atlanta, though, he was drinking by himself in the office. You started to come to work on time, but you were also drinking. Yes, alcohol. Yeah. Nobody that um, has problems with alcohol thinks they have problems with alcohol until something happens. I think I personally thought, felt as though I was a good time when I was drinking, and, and I, I just thought it was just to have fun. He, he told me at one point he realized it was a problem because he was trying to keep it a secret. You start questioning, okay, well, you know, why is this coming up again? Why am I drinking alcohol in the office at, on a Wednesday night, which is what, what was happening uh, in Atlanta in 2015? I was drinking, you know, every night. The, the fact that I was doing it secretly, yeah. I mean, tells you all you need to know that I, I didn't want other people to know. It made me look in the mirror. Um, I was this close to losing a, a job that I had changed my life format for. How, how could it get to this point? Now, if people didn't start to question him on that and start to kind of draw some subtle attention to the fact that he might be drinking too much, uh, maybe maybe he wouldn't have gotten the help as quickly as he needed or at the right time. But ultimately, while I don't perceive it to be some um, clear intervention, I do think that there were people around him that were basically saying, uh, in no uncertain terms, Mike, you've got to get this figured out. You look inward and you start self-assessing. And for me, I knew I should be very grateful but yet I still had problems. And then it was a whole 
deep dive into myself and you realize that I was using alcohol to like, just check out. So I didn't have to deal with the problems. He spent three weeks in rehabilitation. And what I think that he really gained from that, uh, based on our conversation, was not merely that he needed to find a way to stop drinking, or at least being dependent on it, but also the reasons for why he was drinking alone in his office. And to me, that was probably, during our interview, his most honest and revealing moment when he ultimately said why exactly that is. Your sole purpose is to try to be as good as there is at something, and then you have people that are like you that are doing better at it. Um, you know, those are hard things to deal with. So for me, I was chasing Kyle Shanahan when I was 23 and he was 26. And then I get to Washington, now the chase is now a marathon because I have Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur. And as they progressed and, and I maybe went here and then came back, those problems um, seemed to be failures to me. And the whole time I'm worried about the wrong thing. It was because of the pressure on him with his career that he was chasing guys like Kyle Shanahan, who was a such a clear success, that then all of a sudden Sean McVay was in the mix and Matt LaFleur. And all these guys that we've come to know as household names in the coaching community to Mike McDaniel were his friends and his peers. And he was seeing them succeed. And while he was having some of his own form of success, he didn't see it that way. And, and it led him, he believes, to a dependency on alcohol. I didn't like the fact that I knew deep down that I was still living my dream, but my dream wasn't good enough. These are things that were blowing my mind and I didn't want to think about it. So I'd go to work and then feel good about doing a good job and then not think about what was bothering me. What was bothering me was I was worried about the wrong stuff and trying to chase things that didn't matter. Oh. Why don't I just worry about doing a good job? Okay, I'll do that. And then, as fate has it, one of the reasons I'm so grateful is then, boom, that year, the Atlanta Falcons go to the Super Bowl. And that's it. The Atlanta Falcons, NFC champions, on to Super Bowl 51. And then I get a promotion, and we go to San Francisco. So the way Mike begins to perceive this stage of his life is that, okay, I've gone to rehabilitation. I'm never touching alcohol again. I've got my life in a pretty good place right now. And suddenly things start to fall right for him. You know, the Falcons end up in the Super Bowl. Kyle ends up taking the head coaching job with the 49ers. Mike gets promoted and goes with him and ultimately leads him down this path where he is now the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Any man standing at a podium like this would be honored, but that's not why you get into coaching. It's standing at this podium. You get into coaching because you love to coach football. You love to teach and you love to make people better. And that's exactly who I am, who I have been, and who I'll be as the head coach 
of the Miami Dolphins. After the break, the 3 a.m. scene at Hard Rock Stadium. Warm up with the hottest games live with Vivid Seats. No matter the sport, Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love. Plus, with Vivid Seats rewards, you can score free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, an annual birthday discount, and more. They're the only ticket company in the game that rewards fans for every purchase. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Okay, Jeff, so paint us a picture. What is it like to arrive at the Dolphins facility (laughs) at 3 in the freaking morning? Really cool. Um, Showing up to the stadium and to the team facility when there's nobody else there, like, that's not a place you're really supposed to be. So I would say that that was when it was, like, to me, when we we really did, we pulled up around this bend of the stadium and you see this lit up, beautiful stadium that looks both alive and completely peaceful. It was almost jarring. How cool is this? This, I mean... Right when you get around the bend, you see this. And how is that not inspiring? Like, it's so big, you know, and grandiose. We turn into the the facility, and you can tell that he appreciates it, too. Uh, that this did not fall on him uh, in, in a way that he didn't respect the fact that this is his life now. And he takes an interesting route to the facility, right? He does. I live in Fort Lauderdale, so I obviously know the area very well. When we were leaving his house, we took a left turn. We headed east toward the ocean, not west, which would be what any GPS would tell you to do to get to the stadium. We went over one bridge and then down, out of the way, and then back over another bridge to start heading west. And I said to Mike, I was like, why did you turn left there. I was thinking, like, does he not realize there's a better way? You took a very unique drive, by the way. Okay, so this part of the drive, typically in the morning, you know, I'm driving over two bridges, and it's unbelievably still and beautiful. Yeah. I'm also, I'm a kid from Greeley, Colorado, that never saw an ocean until he was a teenager. Wow. I think it's pretty remarkable that I live here and this course reminds me every time. So it's my, I'm able to be a little uh, present at the beginning of the drive. It was very like poetic. It's like, who am I if I don't take the opportunity for a couple of seconds each day to go look at the water? This car ride 
like, is the only time during the day that's truly to myself. I just like to look around and I try not to lose perspective. A guy who is so maniacal that he needs to get to the office by 3 a.m. when nobody else is there for hours is also taking five extra minutes out of the start of his day because he views it as a chance to have this sort of perspective. And I, I think that really does embody kind of who Mike is. He is obviously an incredibly diligent worker. Um, he's a quirky guy and all those things as well. This, these are all true. But he is also like sort of wildly poetic in his mm. own little ways. And wildly appreciative of the journey, both the metaphorical, like the career journey he's on and the literal journey he's on, going out of his way to smell the roses or listen to the waves, so to speak. Uh, I assume he's the only one in the facility at that hour besides, yeah. right, security? <laughs> he is. Security out front. There's like biometrics to get into the building and he got a very big kick out of me trying to wave my hand and being told access denied. And you're really getting Check this out. Check this out. Access granted. Science. Wait, wait. No, put your hand in there. You're going to get denied. Deeper. Access denied. Ha. Access denied. It's good to be. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's good to be Mike. <laughs> What's your take on on what he tries to get done alone, right, at that hour of the day? A lot of people asked me, like, does he really need to go there that early? And I get it. People don't necessarily understand that. But a head coach has so many meetings and so many people that are trying to get their ear for whatever reason. And ultimately, he recognizes that the only time he can find some real quiet time to do what it is he believes he's so good at, which is be that mad scientist, is to get there early enough. I mean, when he walked into that office, even with me there and cameras there, he went and sat down and immediately reached for his remote control and turned on the film. Almost in a, in a sort of habitual kind of way. I can't even pretend to use the terminology that he did, but if he, if he sees something that Jalen Waddle needed on this play, this is his chance to, to find that. I did not notice any coffee, you know, watching your piece. I wanted to drink coffee. I am drinking <laughs> coffee right now. I just didn't see any coffee. I was impressed. He, I asked the same thing. Uh, he did not have a coffee in his hand. I had already had coffee at 3 a.m. And you're not, not really a coffee guy, right? I'm not really like a, a real coffee guy. I'm more like, I like sugar. What would be the cliche of like a, a high school cheerleader's order at Starbucks? Right. What would that be? It'd be like, uh, a, like frappuccino, a frappuccino, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. That led to an interesting story uh, about his days in Washington. He wanted to get to the office as he had vowed to do after Houston at a very early hour, uh, and they only had one car. Once I got back into the NFL, you know, I was like, I'm never gonna be late for work again. I'm kind of an overcorrector, and my girlfriend at the time, wife Katie. We had one car, so she got a job at Starbucks and took the 4.30 shift, so she dropped me off. Really? And that's what got me in, because I, like, I never explored early mornings. So Katie, his wife, in this incredible show of dedication, 
got a job at Starbucks to open up the Starbucks shift oh. at like four in the morning. So she would drop him off at the facility and then she would go to Starbucks. Shout out Katie. I mean, is that's not the coolest wife move I've ever heard. Like that is such cool dedication. Seriously, talk about making that work. Uh, that actually leads to my next question, which is how does the family part of this fit into that kind of maniacal schedule? I know that he has a really young daughter. What time is he going to bed? When does he see his family? Just how does... They're obviously all in, right? So many NFL families. It's not just the head coach who has the job. It's a little bit the entire family that gets the job. So how do they make that work? He is all in with his daughter uh, at every opportunity. And his wife is wildly dedicated to making sure that their family has its quality time together without inhibiting uh, uh, his ability to do his job. I mean, to the point where every single practice of training camp, Katie and his daughter are out there at practice. Him and Katie and his daughter are this unit, um, wildly supportive of each other. I think it is amazing from the outside looking in how the narrative around, and now I'm talking about the the team outright, right? How the narrative around the team has changed so much. I mean, it's 180 degrees from where they were 18 months ago where they had fired Brian Flores, going through that lawsuit, uh, continue to go through that lawsuit. Lots of questions about how viable Tua is going to be at QB. McDaniel comes in and that narrative shifts. How do you think his life and how do you think those experiences that he's had positioned him to, to do that? I think that he believes that this is exactly what he was meant to do. If you talk to people in San Francisco, whether it be George Kittle, who says that he literally wanted a clause in his contract that did not allow Mike McDaniel to leave San Francisco. He is obviously a very smart person when it comes to football, but he is also, his emotional intelligence is also through the roof. And I think that has gone a very long way in the Dolphins locker room, namely with Tua Tungavailoa. I mean, from where Tua was coming from in what was a very tough love, deteriorated relationship with former coach Brian Flores. From the information that I gathered, he was losing his edge as a football player. Like, shame on me if I don't do my due diligence and see if there's a, there's a way that he could believe in himself more. There was actually a really interesting story about this that Mike had shared that ultimately, when he first got hired, he was in the office, as most coaches do, breaking down the, the tape of, of his most important player and his quarterback. He starts to see these like amazing things that Tua is doing that he didn't realize Tua could even do himself at that point. I noticed reoccurring themes of things that in eight, 17 or 18 years of coaching, um, I hadn't seen from the quarterback position. Uh, and, you know, I was, I was freaking out um, in my office one particular night, um, s- stayed uh, till like midnight because I couldn't turn the tape off. And I'm like, oh, we're, we're sitting on this, um, this unknown secret 
such a secret that the secret's been kept from him, I immediately need to show anybody that will listen. And so he is just like beside himself and going around the office telling everybody like, do you guys realize what Tua can do? And he goes in and he puts 700 different plays from Tua where he did awesome things. Uh, and he brought Tua in and he made Tua watch every single one of them. And this couldn't have been a greater juxtaposition for Tua to now be sitting there next to Mike McDaniel as the head coach is saying, look how great you are. You cannot ignore this. When you can say something and back it up with clip after clip after clip after clip after clip, like people can't help not only see it, but feel how, how much you believe in that. So what was I doing? Just doing my job, which is to serve the player. So there's this thing in the title that I have called coach. My objective and my obligation as a head coach is to bring the best out of someone. I have never experienced in 20 years covering the NFL, seeing an athlete be at a lower low when it comes to his confidence to a higher high than Tua Tungavailoa in the very short span of two years, less than two years of Mike McDaniel being the head coach. It really has been a remarkable turnaround. And you mentioned you were in that office where McDaniel first had that revelation as he was watching to his tape. And while he was showing you around, you spotted an index card, right? Posted to his bulletin board with a number on it. There's another number there, 865, that we talked about in the yeah. car. Mm -hmm. 865 being what exactly? It represents... Um, the amount of time that I was out of the NFL from the end of Houston to Washington. Yeah. This index card is right in his face. It is right below a picture of him, his wife, and his daughter getting off the plane after being hired. It is hard for him to ignore at any point when he is in that office. You keep that up there. You yeah. Know, I mean, that... That, w that way... Um, you're able to keep perspective because uh, the world can seem pretty dark, for instance, in a three or five game losing streak. And to him, it's a reminder of the moment when he had lost his dream job. And it kind of all goes back to why he wakes up early. And to me, that was sort of the common thread in, in our piece was ultimately that this index card on the wall represents uh, this time in his life that that he believes ultimately shaped him into who he's become. Jeff, NFL head coaches tend to be really private with their own personal stories. But by talking to you about all this, him really opening up and, you know, showing vulnerability to a degree that we just don't really see, why would he open up like this? I think that he is just a vulnerable person. I think that it's just the fabric of who he is. If you see him, you know it. He is unique. He is quirky. He is funny in a way that takes a little bit of bravery to stand up behind a podium and try a joke that might not hit. All those things are what make him so different, but so special. Again, he has a very high emotional intelligence. And I think a lot of times when you have a high EQ like that, you are aware that 
your story is your story and it's, it's an important part of who you are. I don't know that this was deliberate on his part by any means, but if his players know his story and see him as somebody who maybe is more like them than they realize, then that's something that can not only benefit um, those players, but it can benefit that locker room and this team. A lot of people have done it before me. A lot of people will do it after me. You know, I may or may not be elite, but I'm definitely going to do everything in my, in my power to be elite. And where the chips fall, the chips fall. Great story, Jeff. I'm going to assume that you're going to be taking the picturesque route now to Hard Rock all the time. Driving on the ocean, hearing those waves. <laughs> I never leave myself that kind of time. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jeff Darlington. Thank you. I'm Michelle Steele. This has been ESPN Daily. Our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andres Soto, Andy Tennant, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Andrew Hahn, Deontay Epps, Julian Gooden, Luis Aldea, and Jackson Agello. I'll talk to you Monday.